there's research that shows that enjoying food changes the nutritional absorption of food, which I mean, in my mind, I'm like, if that's not magic, I don't know what is, but there's nutritional data that shows that enjoyment impacts nutritional absorption. A car does not change how well it absorbs gas <laughs> based on its food. Welcome back to Let It Out. Today, we pick up a conversation that started last week. You heard me talk to Virgie Tovar. And if you're just tuning in this week and you missed last week or you're new here, welcome. Hi, I'm Katie. This is Let It Out. I've been doing it for a while. And occasionally, I cut episodes into two parts if they're really long and if I feel like it. And I did this week. So this is the second half of a conversation that you can hear actually the first most of the first hour and a half of the conversation I aired last week. And I chose to cut it in an odd spot because it was really good. And I didn't want to hear the guest was really good. Virgie had really insightful information and I didn't want people to miss it. So I put as much as I could in the first episode and I saved a bit for this episode. So if you'd missed it, you might want to go back and listen to it. This is the end of a two hour conversation, plus some clips that I will set up at the end and a special message from a guest that's all coming later in this episode. But first, here is the last 25 minutes or so with author, activist, one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers, Virgie Tovar. You heard me last week tell you a bit more about Virgie, but I want to remind you that she holds a master's degree in sexuality studies with a focus on the intersections of body size, race, and gender. She's contributed to Forbes. She's written several books. She's given an incredible TED Talk. She has an incredible podcast that's in season three that you should definitely tune in for. And she's been featured everywhere from the New York Times to the BBC, MTV, Al Jazeera, NPR, so many more. And as always, I believe these episodes come alive at the end where we forget that we're recording because it's been so long. And often that's where my favorite bits of conversation are. It's where I feel like I can connect with the guest most. And that's true in this case. And also you'll hear questions that I sourced from our friends and friends of the podcast, previous guests, Christy Harrison and Isabel Fox and Duke. If you've been here for a while, you'll recognize those names. They're probably the two people who have been on this program more than any others. In fact, I know that they have. (laughs) I just checked with our research team. That checks out. 
But before I ask questions from them, they happen to be my mentors, my friends, I ask one more question, or rather I bring up a topic, which I started to bring up at the very end of last week's episode. If you listen to that, we're going to play a tiny bit of what you heard last week, just a few seconds of it to orient ourselves to where we were. But where we're picking up this conversation is me talking about what we call the coming back from camp syndrome, which is a very relatable feeling outside of diet culture and body image. It's really about projecting that things will be better in the future. And it takes you out of now. (laughs) It forces you to miss whatever's happening in front of you. I have had this tendency since I was a child. I, I wonder if you share this with me. Please let me know. But it would be this almost subconscious waiting for something special. You know, when I was in high school, it was like, well, the big dance is coming up. So until then I have to be really rigid about this and I have to, you know, and now I'll do it with, with silly things. And it takes you away from being present in your day. And as I'm setting up this question or this topic, I'm talking about how it pulls focus from what's in front of me. And focus is something that I have been contemplating ever since an episode back in February where our guest Nadine Artemis said this about focus. We think we want distraction instead of focus sometimes, or if we're tired, you know, it's like, oh, just scroll. But focus is so rewarding. And that's where you're really getting lost. I mean, that's what we actually want to do is get lost in that moment. It's like how the French call the orgasm, la petite mort, meaning that little death. And that's where I feel like that's like beauty with a capital B is when you are so consumed in that moment, watching that sunset, you are focused and you are one with that experience. And that's what's so great about focus, whether it's a hobby or a skill set, but it's really important for humans to find focuses. So ever since I heard Nadine say that in the episode from a couple months back, I have been pondering focus fractures, things that I put on my plate that pull me away from something else. Everything has a trade-off, has a compromise, and also how good it feels to be present and doing one thing at a time and noticing. I've been going on what my friend Zoe calls noticing walks, where I leave my phone and I observe what's around me as if it were a new place. And that's what you'll hear Virgie and I talking about in this part of the conversation we pick up where I'm talking about how focus is so important and the it'll be great when or when I return from summer camp, I'll be a new person or a makeover. I think there were so many TV shows when I was growing up about makeovers and makeovering people and spaces that I always wanted this sort of, you know, even Anne Hathaway and the Princess Diaries or remember Extreme Home Makeover or Trading Spaces. I just always wanted to 
look different and be different. And, and I think that is still within me. So this is what we're starting to discuss right now. And then I take some questions from our friends and those cover food positivity, dating. So here's the rest of my conversation with Virgie Tovar. When you talk about love and connection, you're talking about presence. You're talking about focus. And we've been talking so much about focus on this podcast this season because I've realized like that's really all I'm after. I think I want to distract myself to feel better, but really I just want to get out of the focus fracture that I'm in and be able to to focus on on something which is presence. Like whenever I can be present and that's where connection happens. That's where love can happen. That's where intimacy can happen. And it can be wildly uncomfortable too, but that's what dieting does or that's what control or that's what focusing on our body or or getting, you know, whatever it is, like that's where my anxiety happens to pool behaviors wise, but like it can for other people listening, like it might not be that. And for me, it's, you know, I have several distractions or coping mechanisms or ways to get obsessed with something. And it takes you out of the moment. It takes you out of presence. And that really relates to the last thing I want to ask you about before I ask you two questions that I pulled your friends that they sent in. So we have to wrap up with those. But before that, just briefly around everything we're talking about, I think it circles back to something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something I would do growing up. And I and I do all the time. And I see it manifest in itself in different ways, which you and Isabel have talked about this before too. It's the... I'll call it the coming back from camp syndrome. Or you've talked about how you tried to turn your study abroad trip when you were younger into a diet. <laughs> <laughs> and Isabel was like, oh, yeah. like I totally did that every summer between school years, I wanted to come back and be unrecognizable. And I do that now. Like I'll go on a trip and I'll want someone to see me differently. I'll I'll just have a week pass or like I'll know someone's out of town and I just want to like next time I see them to there's this almost redemption quality or there's this, you know, I, I want to be seen different from how I am. And thinking about that concept to what you just spoke about in the bath on your 40th birthday, they're so in contrast from each other because one is about future projection. One is about, I will be okay when, and this one is about like, I'm okay now. And you can actually enjoy your life if you're not, or you can actually not even, who cares about enjoying it? That's take that off. You can just be there. (laughs) You can just notice it when you're not thinking about the future and maybe it being good later, you know? Oh, I know. I know. It, it is. I mean, I think going back to like the metaphor of just kind of like wiping the the smoke and mirrors or like the, the shiny varnish. I do think it's, it really is almost like, I mean, I think of the work that I do as like my spiritual practice or my religious practice or whatever, but it is so hard. And I think especially, especially in the United States, but also beyond, I think it is so hard to just stripped down again to the basics of what like human beings need. It's not complicated, right? Like you like, I just think like we have examples of what humans need all around us and they're children. They're like babies. 
it's not fancy. It's not real cinematic. It's not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not some kind of mythology. It's just sort of, and, and I think it's like that. I don't know. And I, I wonder how much of this is connected to like manifest destiny and like all the weird shit that's like tied up in being American or something. It's like, we just can't accept that we're like, yeah, you're just human, just like everyone else. Like you poop and you eat and you maybe have babies and you hang out with babies and you sleep and you fart. And like, it's, it's not like some kind of weird, it's not a movie. It's not something that like John Hughes made. It's not an Instagram reel, right? Like it's just, it's just so terrifying that life is fundamentally kind of mundane a lot of the times. Um, and I don't, I don't quite, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of this, I'm reluctant to sort of pathologize it, but letting go of a lot of that stuff is very, very, very challenging because we just want to be able to be like, but I can just do this thing and it will just, it'll just have to do this thing. It'll just have to make me blank and just kind of like, again, I mean, and my brain is such an Excel spreadsheet. I think that at a certain point, you get enough of a data set and you're like, well, I can't, you can't argue with the numbers, you know? Um, and I think like, it's just, and I, I don't know if it's aging or what that like, just kind of accepting the reality feels really a lot less scary than it used to or something. Yeah. Accepting that it's the little things that actually make us happy or it's not this grand, like, I think maybe it's the media, maybe it's like you said, culture. I mean, it's, it's all of those things together, but yeah, there's, it's both liberating and there's also like a grief to it. Just like letting go of dieting. There's like a grief to it where it's like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, this is not going to be the thing that I thought it was. And there is a grief to that. But on the other side of feeling the low, there's, there's a, I don't want to say a high cause it's kind of the opposite. It's this getting to center really. Yeah, totally. I think for me, there's like this really beautiful joy in it. And I, I think it goes back to kind of like, you. I mean, again, with the diet culture metaphor, it's like, you know, you're so afraid of what happens if you let go of diet culture. And, and I think for, I mean, obviously not everyone, but like for me on the other side of it was just delight and joy. And I think similarly with this year of all in or whatever, like you're so afraid if you don't hold on to every single thing and you don't like control, control, control that something terrible is going to happen. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I just have to like love you and everyone else like completely wholly and, uh, and unconditionally, as long as proven to me that you're a safe person, that's like all I have to do. And it's like, there's so much joy that's what's so cuckoo about it and that's what i've been processing with my therapist <laughs> like i'm just like i'm like i just can't believe that all you have to do is just be like i see the best in you or with the people around you who you trust and your life is just wildly better i think that i'm like getting to the point where my brain is like i need to eat food or something yeah totally we're both in the, we're both in the same boat okay well this is a good i'm going to give you the two questions from your your sweet friends who submitted them and this one's a good one because it's about food so this will get us to both go eat food in a moment for everyone listening we started recording this when it was light out it's now dark out so this one is from christy harrison she says hi and is giving you a big hug 
She says, I've seen her use the term food positivity and I love it. I would love to hear how she defines it and why it's important. Yeah. I mean, food positivity is, I'll be honest, like my sense is that this is like kind of going to be a big deal very soon. Um, (laughs) I think it's like the next body positivity. So I think for me, it's like... I've actually kind of started teaching people this. I've started had to define it because I taught this class called food positive parenting with a friend and neighbor, um, Sarah, who's like at existing together on Instagram, if you want to follow her. Um, so anyway, it's, it's basically like recognizing that there's a few tenets to it. Like kind of the byline is like all food is good food. Yes. With no exceptions. And then I think if I were to break it down and operationalize it, I would say, It's resisting the dominant cultural narrative around food, which is very white supremacist and colonial, in fact, and like very anti-human. So for example, we are taught that food is just fuel for the machine, which is our body. In fact, this thought originates in European thought, like Leonardo da Vinci is kind of the author of the idea of the body is the machine, or at least he's one of the earliest people who sort of created this idea. And essentially, right, like at the end of the day, food is not just fuel and our bodies are not machines. And in fact, there's research that shows that enjoying food changes the nutritional absorption of food, which I mean, in my mind, I'm like, if that's not magic, I don't know what is, but there's nutritional data that shows that enjoyment impacts nutritional absorption. Wow. A car does not change how well it absorbs gas. (laughs) based on its mood, right? Right. Wild. I think that's interesting. I think another really obviously another tenet of food positivity is that we don't put food into binaries. Like there's, there's a really intense, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy binary in our culture. At the end of the day, right? We trust people and we trust how they eat and we trust how they eat unequivocally and without judgment. Another big one is like, we do not change these rules based on someone's body size. So we're not like food positive as long as you're within a certain BMI or whatever. We're food positive regardless of your health status, your body size, your age, your ability level, et cetera. And I think another one for me, like the big one, and maybe like the last one I'll discuss is like understanding that food has the potential and we can create a world where food is about comfort and care, cultural affirmation, fun, pleasure, and play. And these are the opposite tenets of like our culture right now, where food is largely about control and about shame and about manipulation in order to create a certain outcome, which is usually like a a smaller body. So food positivity is kind of, is kind of that. And it's like, it's just really been really fun. Like I've certainly been working on that with the podcast and beyond that. And it's been really exciting to see how many parents want to learn food positivity for their kids so that they don't pass on their disordered eating or they don't pass on like really harmful ideas. And I think the last thing I want to say about food positivity is a perfect example is always of like hot Cheetos, right? Um, like hot, hot Cheetos are a, a hotly tested, a hotly debated topic, especially for teenagers. And, um, and I think, right, like there's people who are just like, oh, this food, this is, this isn't quote unquote real food. This isn't 
healthy food. This isn't good food. This isn't like, yeah, the whole real, the real food conversation. And I think it's really important to sort of have a different approach to things like that and understand that like, right, hot flaming hot Cheetos, first of all, right? Like whether or not someone eats flaming hot Cheetos is actually likely not going to determine long-term what their health status is. In fact, whether they experience racism, have access to medical care, clean water, whether or not they have a loved one in prison and their genetics are far more likely to impact their long-term health status. So I find it really frustrating that via healthism, food becomes like this hyper-magnified thing that we think actually can like fundamentally alter someone's long-term health outcomes. When again, going back to the data, the data is, I mean, the CDC is very clear that individual determinants of health comprise only 30% of our overall health. And then genetics is the lion's share of that 30%. And then food is like another tiny sliver within an already smaller sliver. So I think it's really important to lower the stakes on food and understand that like as much as we want to control food. And of course, like, right, like food does all these amazing things, right? It can heal us. It can make us happy. It can comfort us and connect us to other people. It gives us pleasure. It's a very powerful entity. But at the end of the day, having a society where everyone has access to dignity, you know, medical care is far, 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 15 far more important in a person's health outcomes. But to go back a little bit and say like, those hot Cheetos are a way of having a moment with your friends, it's a way of decompressing. It's a way of getting comfort. It's a way of like experiencing dopamine, which is like very natural and very good and positive. And so I think that there's, again, a lot of terror around food. And I'm like, what if we just like took all that terror off the table and we're like, Hey, I just trust you. You're eating in the best way that you can considering like what's available to you, what you like. And that is like fucking incredible. Good for you for taking care of yourself in a culture that literally doesn't care if you live or die because we don't have universal healthcare. So good for you. <laughs> um, like it's my feeling. I'm like either deregulate fucking antidepressants or everyone needs to shut up about how people are eating. It's not yeah. like- <laughs> anyway, that's a bit of a tirade. Wow. That was such a good question, Christy, because that was incredible. I'm really happy that we got that in. I would say that's a great place to end because we're both like, so sleepy and hungry at this point. However, this last question is from Isabel. And I have spoken to our research department who had a very good idea of going into my calendar from last year to figure out when our lunch was. And we have not missed our close friend's birthday. It is tomorrow. (laughs) So based on my calculations and... Excellent. Yeah. So that's great news because we, I, I think we both had a collective spiral here at the beginning of this program. I have to give you her question quickly and you can just say the first thing that comes to mind because you'll come back and maybe we'll, who knows, maybe we'll do a whole episode on this, Virgie. But uh-huh. her question was your favorite dating tip, fat positive dating tip, uh-huh. general dating tip, however you want to take it for the <laughs> amount of time we've been recording at this point. <laughs> Oh my God. The one that's coming to mind is, oh, comfort. Date from date from a place of corporeal comfort. And I, I mean, I, I know that we're so hungry, but I just 
have to share this Please. one thing. I mean, I take a- your time. I want you to stay forever. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a major, I've been trying to like tell every single person this because I think it's so important. So I'm a straight woman. I was socialized as a straight woman. If you're a straight woman, you are socialized to date based on educational compatibility. So if you have an advanced degree, you're supposed to be with somebody who has an advanced degree or above. That is how straight women are taught, are socialized to date. And I did that for years and years and years. And I was like, why does this suck? Why don't I enjoy this? So then I found this article that shared that, um, and I, I have an advanced degree. I found an article that shared that straight men and straight women pursue advanced degrees for totally different reasons. So women, straight women tend to pursue advanced degrees to change the world, basically to break down patriarchy and other forms of oppression. Straight men get advanced degrees to make more money. That is to continue building a stronger patriarchy, a stronger system from which they can benefit. So what we've got here is a metric that is fundamentally going to lead to long-term value misalignment from all, from what I can tell in general, I basically like, Oh my God, I was taught to date based on something that was going to absolutely sabotage me long-term. Cause how in the world, like when you think about a relationship, y'all need to have like shared values. And if you're like, I'm trying to break, break down the patriarchy and you're like, I'm out here trying to like build it up so I can keep getting stuff from it. That's what we call a fundamental value misalignment. So I was like, well, what if I didn't date from this like idea of respectability and education and all that shit? And what if I just dated from a place of this feels good in my body when I'm with this person? And that completely changed the game for me. So that's my, that's my long answer about that. Whoa. These questions from those two really take the cake because (laughs) both of your answers kind of blew it out of the water for me. And those questions did not even come for me. Wow. That's, that's wild. And it makes so much sense. Like, wow. I, I have to just share one thing with you that Isabel said to me that, you know, when you talk about comfort, this kind of has to do with nothing, but I'm at this point, I'm just like a little bit delirious and kind of forgot we're recording. I just want to tell you this is a friend, but as you know, her and I are are very close. And I, I was in a situation where dating related and, and kind of, and it's complex. I had put someone on a pedestal as we often do dating. Right. And she gave me this, this piece of advice around it that has stuck with me and gone way beyond that, where I kept, what I kept saying about this person is they're so cool. They're so cool. They're just over and over again, broken record. And this is not an uncommon thing for me to say in friendships, in, you know, past dating that she's heard about years ago. And she was like, listen, all you're saying when you say that is that they have a managed nervous system. Like they are managing their nervous system. Maybe not all the time, maybe not like forever. They might be like a really anxious person who feels self-conscious too. They probably are, but in the moment that you're seeing them and you're perceiving them that way, they feel comfortable. They are comfortable in their own skin. And she's like, you're so deeply uncomfortable, especially around them, that it feels so incongruent to you that you can't 
be yourself and therefore they can't see you. And then we get into this whole, like, I got to redeem myself next to, you know, summer vacation, blah, blah, blah. It's you make it all these other things. And, you know, I, I, I haven't fully like, I intellectually understand that lesson. I'm not sure if I've quite embodied it. Actually, I can tell you for a fact, I haven't because it's come up and come up recently, but it's something I keep going back to. And I feel like vaguely relates to, to what, what you said. And I, yeah. Anyway, thank you. Yes. Wow. All right. Well, this was a delight. I'm so sorry for keeping you so long, but I just couldn't stop because you're so great to talk to. And I, I truly love you so much. And I'm so grateful that you're here. And even though we went for a really long time this time, I would still love to have you back a million times more. <laughs> yes. And I still didn't look at my notes. <laughs> I love that. Well, you're the best. Thank you so much, Virgie. We we didn't have time to do this last time, but we'll we end by taking a deep breath and letting it out. Oh, let's do it. Okay, inhale. Let it out. Ah. Okay, that was my full episode with Virgie. And like I said in part one, I'm really happy to talk about this topic of not dieting and letting go of control and body image and fat phobia and food positivity and again as i as i mentioned in that episode it's something that i think about and contemplate all the time and comes up here from time to time and i'm really happy when it does and in part one i mentioned a couple times i think at least twice a line from david foster wallace and in case you didn't know what I was very vaguely referring to or that you haven't read or listened to his speech called This Is Water. I'm going to place a clip of it here because it relates a lot to what we spoke about today in terms of focus and attention as well as where we put that attention and how that becomes what we worship. As he says, and you're about to hear, we all worship something. And if we make that our bodies, which is one of the examples that he gives, which you're about to hear, or vanity, it's fleeting. And that has really stuck with me. This is from his 2005 commencement speech to the graduating class at Kenyon College. And it has some timeless wisdom. I think you'll like it. And I highly recommend reading it in full or listening to it in full or watching a clip of it on YouTube. I will link to how you can do that in the show notes. But here is a couple minutes of it in the second half of the speech talking about worship. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And a compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, 
proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom all to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. This kind of freedom has much to recommend it. But of course there are all different kinds of freedom and the kind that is most precious you will not hear much talked about much in the great outside world of wanting and achieving and displaying. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad petty little unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. That is being educated and understanding how to think. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. I know that this stuff probably doesn't sound fun and breezy or grandly inspirational the way a commencement speech is supposed to sound. What it is, as far as I can see, is the capital T truth with a whole lot of rhetorical niceties stripped away. Okay, that was David Foster Wallace and his speech that he gave in 2005. It has been made into a book, which is called This is Water, Some Thoughts Delivered on a Significant Location About Living a Compassionate Life. Highly recommend. What he's talking about here and I think especially in this clip, is that as human beings, we have to manage our lizard brain, our hardwired human instincts rather than remove them. And I think that's true when it comes to managing or deprogramming or reprogramming our subconscious diet culture and internalized fat phobia and, and trying to remove that from our brains. It's really complex. Whew. All right. Well, with that, we obviously mentioned Isabel Fox and Duke, great name, great person, several times in this episode and in last week's episode. And you know what? I mentioned her a lot in general conversation and on this program. So you know what? I called her up this morning and I asked her if she would also answer the question that she asked Virgie. And this is what Isabel had to say. Isabel here. 
friend of the pod and Virgie Tovar, my rock of all rocks in the body positive realm. Interestingly enough, I think my favorite fat positive dating advice came from Virgie. And this was many, many years ago. She may not even remember sharing this with me, but I share it with clients all the time. And that is date someone who you are not afraid to gain weight with, right? Make sure that whoever you're dating is somebody that you feel like you could put on a bunch of weight and it would still be okay. If you are not comfortable gaining weight with the person you're with, probably a red flag. Okay, that was Isabel. Of course, you can go back and listen to many, many episodes of her and I having conversations, mostly about body image, but you know what? There's also one about Bitcoin, so feel free to go hear us speak about that as well. I found this small green shot that has improved my mornings so much, and I think you might like it too. I take it in the mornings. I take it everywhere with me. I have them in my bag. I love to keep them in the fridge because they taste really great cold, but you don't have to keep them cold, which is nice. You can have it whenever you need a energy boost. It helps me to drink less coffee. And I love taking them before I record a podcast episode. They're just lovely. And truly, I like to have it in the morning before my coffee on my way to walk to get a coffee. I will drink one. I've given them to friends. My friend Brian was in town and we drank them on our walk to get coffee and he seemed to really enjoy it as well. The ingredients in these small little shots called Magic Mind include adaptogens like ashwagandha. They help you stay focused and less jittery with caffeine and help me to drink less caffeine altogether. And they taste amazing. And I have a 20% off code to share with you. It's let it out 20. So just go to magicmind.co slash let it out to enter the code let it out 20 at checkout. The best part is that they have a money back guarantee. So really you have nothing to lose. And I think you're going to like them a lot. If you get the subscription, it's 40% off. My 40% off code only lasts 10 days. So act now. Thank you so much, Magic Mind. And while we're going back in time, I have another conversation from a few years ago that I want to mention here because I think a lot of the topics that we discussed in it will be things that if you liked this conversation, you'll probably like my conversation with author and chef Julia Tertian. Do you remember it? Maybe you listened to it back then. But there's one particular clip from that episode that I remember. And there's usually one bit that I remember from each of these conversations and the rest of it is kind of fuzzy. And this is the bit that I really remember. And I thought it related to what I was speaking about with Virgie at the very end, the advice that Isabel gave me about people being cool. (laughs) So I'm having a very similar conversation with Julia Tertian in 2021 about effortless, right? People who I perceive as cool often feel like they don't try, like trying feels very uncool to me. And this relates to something, you know, my mom, who's always been in a larger body, whenever we would 
be out or, or see people and they'd be like, someone would say to her, you know, oh, have you lost weight? And she would always say the same thing, almost, you know, like a script. She'd be like, always trying, always trying. Makes me emotional to even say that. Um, and I think I have internalized that as anyone who tries is uncool, right? Like it's so much cooler to, you know, just leave without makeup and you, you, you know, that kind of gone girl definition of a cool girl, if you have read that. Um, we're trying was just so dreadfully uncool and being effortless is always what I aspire to. So I'm talking about that with our guest in 2021, Julia Tertian, and here's what she had to say. Remembering that a lot of things that we perceive to be effortless actually require so much effort. I think that helps us all just relax a little bit. That's the line that stuck with me. I remember hearing that back in 2021, February. I remember where I was sitting. I remember how the day felt because that really helped me, just that line. And maybe you want to go back and listen to that conversation. It's also one that I split into two because it was robust with lines like that. So that will be linked in the show notes. It reminds me of this book that I have and around the topic of being cool. Have you heard of or read the book? It's called Take Care of Yourself by Sophie Colley, the artist, the French artist. So my really close friend, Zoe, she gets me a different art book every year for my birthday. And she said that this one, this was from last year, was the intersection between her and I. And the book is called Take Care of Yourself. And essentially, Sophie Colley, this artist, was broken up with in an email from someone. And the last line of the email read, take care of yourself. And what she did is she sent that email to, I think it's 100, I want to say 174. It's not that number, but it's something like that number. And our research team is busy. That's why I can't tell you the exact number. But anyway, she has all of these different women and their different disciplines, different ages, different locations, dissect this in their line of work, right? So you have an attorney going through it. You have an editor going through it. You have all sorts. It's a very interactive book. There's a CD. There's a musician. There, you know, It's very, very cool. But my favorite one in there, my favorite bit of the book is very simple. It's from a teen. <laughs> and she just says one line in a text message and this is what it is. The teenager interprets the email as one line. She says, he thinks he is cool, <laughs> which is kind of everything, right? And to that point, there's a great quote from The Midnight Library, the book, The Midnight Library. And this is what the writer, Matt, says. He says, maybe you've seen this before because it, it's definitely floated around the internet. Many people have sent it to me, but I'm going to read it here. He says, never be cool. Never try to be cool. Never worry what the cool people think. Head for the warm people. Life is warmth. You'll be cool when you're dead. Whew. It's good, right? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do and uh, trying to accept that I'm warm and I'm never going to be cool. Okay, before we go, there's another conversation from the archive. We're almost to 400 episodes. Can you believe it? And I'd like to mention it because you might want to go back and listen to it if any of these topics 
were new to you or interesting to you in terms of anti-diet and body image, letting go of diet culture. It's with the other person who asked a question to Virgie and a friend and mentor of mine. It's the author of the book, Anti-Diet, the host of the show, Food Psych. Many of you have found my show through Christy Harrison's program, or you have gone to listen to Food Psych as a result of being here. It was hard to choose a clip from Christy, actually, because she's been here several times. And most recently, we split an episode in two at the very end of last year, 2021. She was very pregnant. And we talk a lot about intuitive eating in that episode. So if that's a concept that is new to you, and a lot of this is new to you, maybe go back to that part one and part two. But here's a clip of Christy talking about diet culture. Diet culture gets us because we're vulnerable, because, you know, it makes us vulnerable, because it tells us that it's going to solve all our problems and make all our dreams come true. And it's something we've been fed since childhood. So, of course, we're going to believe it. And of course, it's the easy thing to do and the thing that society rewards us for doing. So, that was from an episode with Christy from back in 2020, peak pandemic. And later in that episode, she mentions a Virginia Woolf quote. And the quote is from the book, The Beauty Myth, and it relates to diet culture. Virginia Woolf starts out saying, a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative there is. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. If you want to hear more of that conversation with Christy Harrison, that one was right after her book, Anti-Diet, came out, which I also highly, highly recommend. I even make a cameo in there. So feel free to find that and let me know if you do. If you're wanting to hear more on these topics and more of Virgie specifically, of course, going back to my first conversation from last summer with Virgie, we get more into fat phobia and defining it in that one. Because of that, we didn't really do that in part one and part two this week. So if you feel like you have a good handle on that, then great. (laughs) And if you want to tune up, that is there for you. But right now, here's a clip of Virgie defining fat phobia back then. There's a million ways to look at this and unravel it, but there's dating discrimination, there's fashion discrimination. And so it manifests in a lot of different ways, but it fundamentally creates a reality in which higher weight people basically don't feel like they are wanted and belong in their own society. And last but not least, I want to take us back to a conversation from last summer with writer Savala Nolan. At the time we recorded this, she had just published her first book, a collection of essays called Don't Let It Get You Down. And it made a tremendous impact on me, the book, as well as my discussion with her. We talked about the book at length, and in the clip that you're about to hear, we're talking about intimacy and dating and a specific essay in her book that was about that and our desire to be chosen. So I will leave you with Savala. 
the craving to be chosen and to be mm-hmm. loved is universal, right? And incredibly strong, you know, throughout our lives. One of my favorite quotes from James Baldwin, where he's talking about love, but you could, you know, you could sub in just the desire to be loved. But the quote is that love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. Well, we're not going to find a better place to end this episode than Savala reciting a James Baldwin quote, especially one that beautiful with the word love in it. I love you. I am so grateful that you're here, that you've been listening for any length of time. If you want to go back into the archive, that would be cool. And please don't judge me for changing. (laughs) And I'll probably cringe. I cringe when I listen to anything from the past. But those episodes with Savala, also one that was split in two. I guess I just can't keep this topic tight, clearly. I mean, not that I can really keep anything tight. The point is, that one is split into two parts. And prior to that, far prior to that, in 2017, I believe, or 29th, a while back, she had been on the podcast before, and it was another truly watershed moment filled podcast with Saval. I really love her. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end and tuning in however often you do. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Again, my name is Katie, and uh, I write a newsletter called The Let It Out Letter. You can sign up for that if you want to. It's an essay from me and links to everything we talk about here. This program has its own Instagram. It's let it out with three T's. If you want to send me a message there, it's also me. And let me know what you thought of any of this. Please send this as well as the first part of it to anyone you would think might benefit from it. This is an interesting topic. It's a tricky topic. And... I would love to have us discuss it more. Let me know if you'd like to hear more on this topic, if who you'd like to hear from, and everyone here who I played clips from, from Julia Tertian to Christy to Isabel to Zavala to, of course, our guest of honor, Virgie Tovar. Check out everything they do because they are individuals who I love and respect and admire and i'm so grateful to know to get to consume their work and to be able to share them with you here if you have any questions for me about anything you know where to find me have a great week i'll be back next week and happy summer (laughs) bye bye